Hi, and welcome to Screens in Focus podcast, where we share and connect as we spotlight our favorite shows and movies. I'm Diana. I'm Brittany. And this is episode 24. Today, we'll be reviewing season four, episodes 13 and 14 of The Walking Dead with the lens of expectation. Before we dive in, how are you doing today, Diana? I am doing great. I have ABBA songs in my head. (laughs) I actually took out my little greatest hits and put it in because they were playing in my head, which we will discuss later in movies I watched. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had two improv classes this week. So I am, we're gearing up for our show. So I'm excited. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm very thankful for my boyfriend. He killed a spider for me this morning. (laughs) (laughs) It's the little things, folks. Yes. So, yeah. And this week has been much better for me. So Oh, great. But I just am not a fan of heat at all. Like, I'm ready for fall and winter. So. I know. Oh, well. I love fall, too. Alrighty, Diana, let's hear your recap. Hmm, Okay. Season 4, episode 13, Alone. Bob's backstory is explored. Sasha, Maggie, and Bob clash over going to Terminus, prompting Maggie to head there on her own, searching for Glenn while leaving graffiti messages made with walker guts. (laughs) Bob kisses Sasha. Woot! (sighs) Meanwhile, Daryl gives Beth a serious piggyback ride to a funeral home where they find peanut butter and jelly, Diet Coke, and pig's feet. (laughs) They eat, relax, and bond. But it is short-lived because walkers make it into the home, Daryl fights them off, and narrowly makes it out, only to find that Beth is taken as a black car speeds away. Next morning, as he tries to track it down, he is confronted by the marauders and their leader, Joe, who Rick almost killed in a previous episode. Season 4, Episode 14, The Grove. Tyrese, Carol, Mika, Lizzie, and Judith find a cabin. And they feel at home, but not long before Lizzie kills Mika, (laughs) trying to make a point that walkers aren't so different. So, Carol has to kill Lizzie, telling her to look at the flowers, and then confesses to Tyrese that she killed David and Karen. He forgives her because he's a wonderful human being who we don't deserve. Okay, Diana, where did you see the theme of expectation pop up in these episodes? So I saw it with Tyrese's expectation of making the house in the woods a home with Carol and the girls. So life has been rough for all of the survivors, but as we previously mentioned, Tyrese was stuck with the worst group. (laughs) So finding a place to put up his feet has been a godsend. One evening, life feels almost normal. With Mika happy, she found a doll, and Tyrese, Lizzie, and Carol sitting around the fireplace and he pauses to experience the moment and says he is not used to being in a house and Mika tells him it's time to relax and he does. The next day he tells Carol maybe we don't need to go to Terminus. We can stay here. He tells her I trust you. I don't know if I can get that anywhere else. We can stay. We can live here. As they walk back to the house, they see that crazy Lizzie has killed her little sister. Carol decides that Lizzie can't live with people and shoots her, and she and Tyrese bury the girls. 
Tyrese and Carol talk, and she confesses to him that she killed Karen and David to stop the spread of the flu. And he was not expecting to hear those words from her mouth, but he did, and he struggles with it, yet he forgives her. I think he is a bit relieved that Carol took care of business with Lizzie. It's not something Tyrese would ever do. He might not even think it's right, but his conscience is clear because she did the dirty work. So I think with the timing of everything, this was the best moment for Carol to confess. And that is why I think he forgives her. He says he won't forget, but he forgives her. The next day, they pack up with Judith in tow and leave the house in the woods along with the expectation of it being their new home. Yeah, that's a really good point, Diana. And Tyrese's expectations are kind of squashed after Mm -hmm. that whole debacle. And it's really sad. It's awful that Tyrese and Carol have to witness that just because they both took care of those little girls. Mm -hmm. So it's probably heart-wrenching for them. And I can't even imagine that. Yeah. But flipping to Tyrese's sister, Sasha, that's where I saw expectations in these episodes. So she is very apprehensive about going to Terminus. She assumes both Glenn and Tyrese are dead. And I think that assumptions go hand in hand with expectations and the final outcomes of things. I do appreciate her pragmatism, though, in general. It's useful. And she puts their well-being as the first priority. Her whole mentality is about sustaining her life, and we know it's a shield for having any expectations of reuniting with Tyrese again. Because of what happened to Woodbury, the prison, and before that, her expectations of a bright future and truly feeling at peace have been severely diminished. She claims that they're receiving warnings, and if anything unfortunate takes place, it's on them. Sasha grasps onto any excuse like, oh, the compass isn't working, or oh, Terminus is really far. She even begins saying, if it sounds too good to be true. (laughs) And side note, Sasha was right all along (laughs) that they shouldn't have traveled to Terminus. I recognize it's how the characters find each other again, but let's give the woman some credit here. (laughs) She was right. Anyway, Sasha doesn't want to become absorbed by pursuing something that seems too good to be true, because it usually is. She's been let down and disappointed by her expectations and the setbacks that they've experienced so much that she, like Michonne, had kicked back into pure survival mode and didn't want to ruminate over what's beyond just surviving anymore. It's consuming and draining. Disappointment can stem from expectations, and Sasha has learned this too well in her journey. Sometimes it's comforting to have lower expectations. Then, if something does exceed expectations, it feels like a nice surprise, rather than feeling defeated or disillusioned once again. Being hopeful is a rather brave, scary choice because you never know for sure how something will unfold. So I really empathize with Sasha a lot here because either route she takes will be an uncertain journey and nothing is a sure thing. So I just acknowledge that a lot of energy goes into being hopeful. Yeah, so I think it was the same way with Bob. I think he had expectations that weren't fulfilled. And so he was kind of living in that same mode that Sasha was for a while before 
or right when he arrived at the prison. So in these episodes, um, Bob's expectation of being alone um, and realizing he doesn't have to be. So the episode alone (laughs) opened with a flashback of Bob on the road by himself. He looked worn and ragged and empty and it's as if he were a living walker. He would find shelter where he could and would drink at night. It truly felt like a lonely existence until he found Daryl and Glenn. They ask him the three questions and I'm like, yay, Rick is represented in this episode (laughs) um, by the three questions. Then they ask him if he has any questions for them. And he says, no, because he doesn't care. He has been on the road alone for too long. He has been with two previous groups and all have died except for him. So his expectation is that this group will die and he will be alone again. He talks with Sasha about his fear. He tells her, when I got to the prison, I wondered how long the clock is ticking and how long until everyone else is dead and I'm on my own. Bad things happen because I was scared, but I didn't need to be afraid. Surviving the prison attack with Sasha and Maggie shifted his thinking. Maybe it was being out on the road with them and seeing their strength. They were survivors and good people. This is why he wants to go find Maggie. He says she's alone. Something he hated and he doesn't want that for anyone else. Bob goes off on his own to search for Maggie, but it is Sasha who finds her and together they go find Bob. And it was really a nice moment when they were reunited. They hugged and smiled at each other without saying a word and continued on their journey. (laughs) Brittany, where else did you see the theme of expectation? I saw it with Beth and Daryl. I actually think that they did harbor feelings for each other, though it was embryonic and nascent and, like Diana said, (laughs) short-lived. I don't care what the comic book or TV writers or actors say about this. In that moment, when they're looking at each other, I'm like, oh, oh, they would have gotten together. Anyway. The hand. Yes. And her, her smile fades away. She goes, oh. Oh, so, you know, they were interrupted. (laughs) But even though Daryl was judgmental of Beth, he now appreciates her light in this gloomy world. Her presence is his respite from all of this sadness. Daryl previously had low expectations of himself, which we've discussed a lot. Mm -hmm. He isn't what you expect when you imagine the hero of a story. Yet, with Carol voicing her belief in him, and now Beth, he's finally expected more of himself. And there's science and proven studies behind the power of expectation. It is a major contributor to how people act. When someone you care for believes in you and expects something of you, you tend to work assiduously in order to live up to them. When you know others are counting on you, It's quite the motivator. Expectations can influence our perception of reality, and that affects our experience. So it shows why there's such an impasse with issues in sexism, racism, or any type of political issue. Everyone expects something different. It's interesting because when people say, what did you expect? They're assuming the other person held the same beliefs, biases, 
life experiences, and common knowledge as them. It really magnifies the fact that not everyone finds credence with the cash of what you think is common sense. Mm-hmm. Bar- Beth and Daryl, I was going to say Beryl. That's their couple name now. <laughs> Beryl. <laughs> <laughs> finally got to a place where they expected the same of each other and it didn't feel like a burden or misplaced. It felt comfortable yet at the same time exciting and new and that's something that I hadn't noticed before. Mm -hmm. Okay Diana, so what else did you notice during these episodes? Well, with every episode I watch, it confirms my belief that season four is my favorite. Mm. There have been so many great episodes, and I love that this season has been character-driven. I look forward to the last episodes of the season because I know what's coming up, and I have another favorite one in there. (laughs) Yes, these are the episodes where if Rick isn't present, it doesn't decrease the value. These are the characters that are the best. (laughs) We care about them. We had sufficient time to get to know them, Mm -hmm. to learn their stories, and to genuinely hope they have happy endings. And Diana's right. Season four is probably one of the best seasons. So something else that I wanted to bring up was that I love that Beth can still see the beauty in things. She thinks the person who made up the corpses cared about them and finds that beautiful. She is excited that Daryl has faith that people can be good. Mm -hmm. She plays the piano and sings. And I found it to be a little annoying the first time around that I watched this. But this time I found it hauntingly beautiful. And I really appreciate her musicality. She writes to the people of the house a letter explaining their visit, which I find to be very sweet. And reminded me of you, Brittany, (laughs) who writes (laughs) letters and notes to people. And I just think that that's a really sweet quality. And um, I saw that in Beth, too. Yes. And speaking of music, I quickly connected to the Blackbird song by Lee DeWise. And I haven't watched every season of American Idol, but I did really like his season and almost all of the songs that he chose to perform, especially Everybody Hurts, Fireflies, which is fun, and You Found Me. They felt so special and do hold personal meaning to me. And I actually really loved his take on Ain't No Sunshine in his audition. So I didn't know it was him singing this, though until I looked up what the song was. And the Blackbird verse, when he says, don't be scared, I'm still here, no more time for crying, dear. It just really moved me for some reason. So he um, wrote that song Mm -hmm. in like a matter of two nights. And he had to figure out how to get it in front of the Walking Dead people. Oh my gosh. Because he loved the show. He initially didn't want to watch the show and then him and his something happened him or his wife something happened to him they were kind of bedridden for a little while and so they decided to rewatch and they marathoned it oh my gosh and they totally fell in love with it and so he loved the music Mm. that we have commented on in the past. Mm -hmm. So he felt the same thing. He really liked it. So he wrote that song. Mm. He felt like he identified with Daryl, Glenn, and I think he said Herschel. Okay. Those are the three people he identified with. So anyways, when he wrote this song, um, that's what he had in mind, which I thought was totally cool. That's really sweet. So That's so cool. um, Yeah, and I think the song was so good because it made Bob's uh, backstory so impactful also. Definitely. And it played at the end again, too. 
Yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. It did. It was nice. Like, yeah. Beginning and end of the episode. Okay, so I want to bring up that the walkers are so scary. I forgot to mention in our last episode, there was an opening scene with Beth and Daryl who know a horde of walkers are coming and they get into a trunk of a car and tie it down and then the walkers come through and it felt, and I felt like I was in the car with them and it was the scariest thing. It was like some wild storm was happening. And also in the recent episode, when all the walkers make it into the funeral home and they are after Daryl and they drive him down the stairs, I thought, oh my God, he's trapped. How is he going to get out of this? But he was able to use the gurneys to block them and then he slides underneath them and escapes. And it's a really good thing that these walkers aren't too quick or that smart. I was thinking the same thing. I wrote that in my notes. Oh my God, I'd be dead. Oh my God, I'd be dead. I thought, wow, he's really smart to think of this. And I did think, I was like, wow, how is he going to get out of this? I, Even though we've watched this and we know they get out of it. I know. I don't remember how they get out of it. Yeah. So I was watching it like, what is going to happen yes. here? So, and I always hate it when people are being chased and they run downstairs or upstairs. I'm like, that's not the exit. <laughs> You're being crammed into a corner. Yeah. But I mean, thank God. Whew, that was crazy. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to go off on a tangent here, so stay with me. <laughs> so I just want to say, screw Lizzie and screw her fake-ass walker friend, Griselda. Mika names her actual inanimate doll Griselda. So Lizzie finds a live walker, makes it her pet doll, names her Griselda too, and starts laughing and running around with it. Stop it! (laughs) (laughs) That was crazy. I will tell you, I was laughing at her, watching her do that. I just, I don't understand how Carol didn't slap the shit out of her (laughs) when Lizzie was screaming at Carol saying, It's the same thing! What if I killed you? She was my friend and you killed her! I didn't want her to slap her. I'm just saying that Carol and all parents have a lot of patience, so wow. And Lizzie didn't show this much anger when her own father died. My blood was boiling during this moment. Carol and Tyrese, though, they had opportunities to ask Lizzie more questions about her beliefs. Instead, they just prescribed her the right way of thinking when Lizzie nefariously says, I know now what I have to do. Carol should have asked more questions. She should have said, okay, Lizzie, can you tell me what you think you need to do? What is your plan now? What are you realizing? Instead, she assumes that Lizzie knows that walkers are dangerous and must kill them. Neither Carol or Tyrese bother to clarify. This little girl has shown you innumerable signs of delusion and mental illness for weeks now. Why do you both think this is now resolved? And it is mental illness. If you are of sound mind, You don't stab your little sister, who I am sure was kicking and squealing and so frightened and crying and begging before she died. The warning signs, the warning shots were there right in front of Carol and Tyrese. I'm not blaming them, but they both absolutely could have done better. I know it's good TV and a great episode, but wow. I am just disappointed with the lack of introspection into Lizzie's inner demons. 
Okay, Diana, what are you currently watching? Well, I am watching, of course, So You Think You Can Dance and uh, The Real Housewives of Orange County. (laughs) Um, But along with that, I watched Karate Kid, the 1994 movie. I saw that this was playing on TV, and since I recently watched Cobra Kai and loved it, it made me want to rewatch, and I was glad I did. I love the chemistry between Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. Mm -hmm. What a great friendship, and watching the tournament fight at the end of the movie doesn't disappoint. Mm -hmm. Um, I also watched, or I got caught up on Pose, and... I actually had it on as background watching, but I caught myself having to stop what I was doing and rewind to catch the whole scene. I really like the writing. It is really well done. Um, Also, uh, I watched an Emmy for Megan, and I watched this because Brittany recommended it, and it is short funny and well done, even though they make it seem as though they just threw it together. (laughs) Megan Amram, if I'm saying her name correctly, is the writer for The Good Place. And here she is branching out into acting and directing and now a nomination. Good for her. Um, As far as movies, I watched It Follows, which is a (laughs) 2014 supernatural horror film about a teenage girl who is followed by a supernatural entity after a sexual encounter, and to get rid of it, she has to pass it along during sex. (laughs) Okay, this movie was scary. It appeared at the Cannes Film Festival and was picked up for distribution and surprisingly did well. Now, I watched Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. I have been waiting for months to see this because I am a huge ABBA fan. Yes, I had their album and would listen to it over and over again, and I know I say that a lot, but I did. And for future reference, I had Queen Album 2, so when that movie comes out, I will say the same thing. Anyway, this movie picks up five years after the first, and I really liked it, but If you see this movie, know that the songs are the lesser-known songs, so they will not be as familiar. I enjoyed the flashbacks of Donna's life, played by Lily James, but I do miss older Donna, which is played by Meryl Streep. Her role is minimal, but impactful, and I cried in her duet with Amanda Seyfried. Also, I loved watching the addition of Andy Garcia, and of course, Cher, who (laughs) is amazing, and she sounds and looks great. Don't go in expecting a lot. There are definitely flaws, but if you go in just to watch a fun movie, then that is what you will get. Also, Benny and Bjorn, both members of ABBA, have cameos. Oh, fun. Okay, Brittany, what have you been watching? So, for TV, I finished season two of Luke Cage on Netflix. He's part of the Defenders group, and I didn't think it was as good as season one, unfortunately, just because I felt like there were too many episodes for the story that they told. But I also have been randomly catching up on season three of United Shades of America, and I really like W. Kamau Bell and how he facilitates these conversations on subjects he doesn't know much about. For example, he investigates six in America, the disability community, and Native Hawaii. He actually won an Emmy at last year's Primetime Emmy Awards in the Outstanding Unstructured Reality Program category, so I really like it and I learn new things every time I watch. I also watched Hannah Gadsby and Annette, and I watched it because Diana said that people were apparently talking about this, and then I heard about it again from the podcast Still Processing, so I figured I'd watch it and give it a shot. 
So she is from Australia and she speaks on violence against women and it's surprisingly incredibly moving. Mm. So I highly recommend it actually. Uh, 10 out of 10 from me. And then for the third episode of Sharp Objects, I just wanted to point out that Sydney Sweeney had more screen time and her story was the most, actually the only interesting part in my opinion. And she's in The Handmaid's Tale too. So I'm pretty impressed with her. I just, I love her energy. As far as movies, I rewatched Julie and Julia, and I just love this movie. I was so emotional watching this. Like, I've always wanted to be a writer, and I connected with both Julie and Julia's stories of overcoming adversity and fulfilling their dreams. And I also related because of how supportive and realistic their husbands were in these endeavors, at least to me. I don't know how many times I've broken down crying or even screaming that life isn't fair or I don't know what to do or I feel as if I should just give up on a certain goal or dream. And it's not that if I didn't have Jimmy, I couldn't do these things, but he's definitely someone who knows how to navigate my feelings, my wishes, my dreams, frustrations. Mm -hmm. I have an awesome support system. But these husbands really reminded me of the fights that me and Jimmy have had (laughs) and the countless times that he has fought for me and my dreams and my happiness. And my heart was just bursting with gratitude and love while watching this. So side note, I have the cookbook, Mastering the Art of French Cooking. So I made a meal plan for like the next three (laughs) months of only French recipes and we're excited. (laughs) Sounds awesome and yummy. (laughs) All right, so we are at, and the award goes to. So, Diana, what was your favorite moment, quote, or character? My favorite character was Carol, and it's for her bravery. She always does what she has to, and it ain't always easy. Killing Lizzie was so hard for her, and I don't know that anyone else would have been able to do it. Also, the conversation she has with Tyrese admitting to being the one who killed Karen and David and then giving him the gun and telling him to do whatever he needed to do, accepting her fate. It isn't easy telling someone who is a friend and a person who tells you that they trust you. It took a lot of guts for her to come clean. And I salute Melissa McBride on her performance in this episode. She deserved an Emmy nod. Brittany, who does your award go to? My award goes to Bob. I love everything he says and does Mm -hmm. in episode 13, including kissing Sasha. (laughs) Hubba hubba. (laughs) He refuses to let Maggie be alone because he knows how hopeless he felt before the prison. Mm -hmm. And he also brings up self-awareness and how it can shift your path, which is so true. Yeah. I love Bob. I can't believe I forgot how much I grew to love this dude. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in. We are grateful you tuned in. And we hope something we said today resonated with you, gave you a chuckle, some happiness, some positivity, or inspiration. Please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend. We would love more members of our TV club. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. We need your feedback. We'll be uploading new episodes every Tuesday, and the next show will be on Season 4, Episodes 15 and 16. You can find our blog at the link listed in our show notes. See you next time. Bye!